Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The Old Testament scripture reading is Psalm 42. If you're following along in your pew Bibles, you will find it on page 515. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The New Testament scripture reading is found in the gospel according to to John begins with verse 1 of chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. And just then his disciples came and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city and she said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when is the last time you had a conversation about something that really mattered? We all have so many words these days. We're we're drowned in words. We use words with talking and and texting. We use words with tweeting and TV. We read words on the internet. We read too many words to really process them all. But when it comes to talking about what really matters, sometimes our words are too few. Maybe you, like I, have sat at the breakfast table trying to get my teenage son to talk. Too few words. I've come home from a long day at work so weary sometimes that finding words to speak of what really matters to my beloved husband takes more energy than I can muster, and I don't have the words. I've encountered friends and church members and neighbors who who I know are hurting, yet when we get close to the subject, the sore spot, they start talking about something else. They have plenty of words for that and not for what matters. I have deep convictions about what God calls us to do in the world, but talking about them often seems like we're inviting argument and incivility, so we keep our words close. And then there are those times that I don't even feel like talking to God. I have no words. Today's gospel text has the potential to teach us how to live out our discipleship by talking about what matters to each other and to God. Notice the Samaritan woman comes to the well at noon, which is 
long past the time when women gathered to draw water and to pour gossip. By the tone of her words, you can read or hear that she is tired out by life, that her cynicism is on display. She is alone with her bucket and appears to be an outsider. We don't know. We don't know whether she's heartbroken from burying five husbands or whether there's another reason for these marriages. The text tells us only there is a sixth that is not her husband. And notably, Jesus does not shame her does not exploit or judge her for the reality of her life, but simply affirms her for telling the truth. You've told the truth. How strange it is that Jesus ends up at this particular well. It is Jacob's well, the well where Isaac was betrothed to Rebekah and Jacob was betrothed to Rachel. A well was a place to rest in the ancient world, a place to quench your thirst, a place to make deals and to arrange marriage. And normally Jews traveling between Judea and Galilee would make careful plans to avoid the hilly area, to go up the river or along the coast, but not through the middle like Jesus does, not through Samaria hill country, not stopping at the well. The animosity was thick between the Jews and Samaritans. It went back, mm, like a lot of church conflicts, a long time. In this case, 700 years. To the time when Israel was exiled by Assyria, way back when. And colonizers from five cities were, were settled into the northern part of Israel, and they brought their religious traditions with them. They mixed with the Hebrew population. They had different beliefs about worship, than the Jews did about matters of faith, both small and large. And over the centuries, those differences had resulted in hostility. And of all the people that Rabbi Jesus could have reached, the Samaritans were perhaps the least likely to listen to anything he had to say. Until this day. This day when Jesus stops at this particular well, despite all of that, when Jesus is tired from traveling, when what he says is surprising, not only because rabbis did not speak to women in public, let alone Samaritan women, but because he is saying something vulnerable. Give me a drink. And that request opens up this deep conversation about scripture and holy places and living water and the Messiah to come and eternal life. And he doesn't let her... He doesn't let her get lost in talking about differences in religion, but he points her somewhere else to what matters, to a greater truth in a day when the very things she is worried about, they won't matter at all. In the space of a few minutes, this, this famous woman who we don't know her name perceives Jesus as not just a rabbi, but he is a prophet, and then that he's not just a prophet, but he's the Messiah. She, she sees this because Jesus reveals himself to her as I am, echoing that long-ago revelation to Moses in the book of Exodus when God reveals God's name. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. In Hebrew, the phrase sounds like Yahweh and becomes the sacred name of God to the Jews. And when the Samaritan woman receives this revelation and, and she realizes the truth, she does two really important things. One, she leaves that water jar. And the second is she runs to tell her village. 
She bears witness, is perhaps the first one in the gospel to bear witness to the love that calls us into being and claims us as God's own. This, could he be the Messiah? She doesn't let her doubts keep her from speaking her truth. Her belief in Jesus Christ changes her life in radical, real ways and it impacts her whole community. Her world is turned upside down. Many years ago now, I was in seminary and in the summer worked as a student chaplain at Cleveland Clinic. One night I was on call and sleeping at the hospital when I was paged at 2 a.m. A man was dying of AIDS and his partner wanted someone to pray for him. By that time in the summer, I had offered to pray for a lot of people at the clinic. Though some turned me down because I was a woman and didn't match their image of what a pastor should be. Facing that kind of reaction over and over was part of what made me wonder at the time whether I really should go into the difficult work of ministry, whether God was really calling me, whether I could speak on God's behalf, have the authority to be God's person. I had so few answers for the suffering, the theological questions at the root of our existence. It was the early 90s, and AIDS patients were sometimes outcasts, sometimes, a lot of times, outcasts by friends and family, even the whole society. I knocked on the hospital room, and the man who answered was wearing his broken heart on his face. He looked at me directly and without hesitation invited me in to pray. There was no questioning of my right to be there, no quizzing of my background or my abilities, no comment on my gender or my skirt. He got straight to what mattered, and what mattered was the man he loved was dying. And though both of them were Christian, they had not felt welcome in their church for many years. No one else was in the room at the time. And I went to the hospital bed and held the bony hand of the dying man. I bent over to kiss the papery skin of his cheek. I anointed his forehead with oil and I prayed with his partner a prayer of thanksgiving for this life and entry into the life to come. And I asked forgiveness for all of us for the things we've done and left undone. And I sat with them for the next hour talking and listening. And when it came time for God to call him home, he gently slipped away with a deep and final breath. And afterwards, his partner hugged me and said, Bless you, Pastor. I never saw him again, but those few moments changed my life forever. What is it about Jesus? Time and again, his behavior, the behavior of those called to his name surprises us in a good way. His words jolt us. His teaching forces us to rethink the way we see and understand the world and what is going on. With the Samaritan woman, Jesus turned everything upside down. He sidestepped all the boundaries. He spoke with an outcast. He suggested to her that she might receive the water that he serves up rather than serve him. He confronted her with the sure knowledge of her secrets, but he didn't condemn her. He used her difficult story to help her discover who he really was. Give Jesus half a chance. And most of what you think you know about him, he's going to turn upside down. 
He's going to find a way to transform your life and reorient your thinking and send you out to influence your world. That's what happened that summer night when I had the encounter with the AIDS patient. I was there to serve as a chaplain, to speak a word, to offer comfort, to say a prayer, though I was a student and not ordained. I was learning I thought I was bringing the blessing, but when the encounter was over, I was the one who received it. It wasn't so much that I ministered to a marginalized person, quite the opposite. In the hospital room that night, I realized these strangers had crossed a barrier with me and showed me Jesus in a way that I have rarely experienced. I could feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in the room. They accepted my ministry with open arms. They allowed me entrance into the last moments of life. They called me pastor, and they blessed me. And though I would not be ordained by the Presbyterian Church for another year and a half, that's the day I became a pastor and carried their blessing with me. I think that we need to watch out when we spend time around vulnerable people, marginalized people, and outcasts. We need to watch out because there's no way of telling how God may turn things upside down. God might use you to minister to the needs of an outcast or two, but be careful because the chances are even better that God will use them to change your life and their blessing will rest upon you. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, when he was chief rabbi of London, said the most important challenge facing our time is learning to see God in those who do not look like us. I believe the people of God should be leading the way we should be known as those who aren't afraid to be real and authentic and talk about what matters, who admit our vulnerabilities and who live from the strength of the Spirit of God coursing through our veins like living water. We ought to be committed to meeting the living Christ face-to-face through prayer and listening and dwelling in Scripture and experiencing him in font and table and family life and conversations with strangers and neighbors and outsiders. So please don't be afraid to be real. Talk about what matters. Use questions like, how did you see God at work? When did you feel most alive? If you have a child, ask them the best and the worst part of their day and listen. If you have a spouse, carve out time to be real, to share frustration, to build dreams together. And when someone at church sincerely asks you how you are, if you know, give an answer that's real and listen for theirs. Engage with the important issues of the day, open to the possibility always that your opinion could be changed and maybe take a chance on crossing a boundary to listen to someone from another country or another religion and ask them what it's like to be Muslim or Jewish in America today. Listen to what matters to them and how their worries and joys are so like your own. And most of all, talk about what matters to God. The Spirit of God knows our needs, our worries and concerns, but honestly talking to God in prayer will change us. We become more aligned with God's purpose and in tune with God's call. We confess sin more readily and receive grace with wide open arms. We let go of worries that don't matter and trust God for what does matter. The living water of Jesus Christ will flow and overflow your soul so that you can be a blessing to others even when you are bone-weary yourself. We live in such a thirsty world. 
People are thirsty for something to sustain them, for a bigger story. Some in our world are literally thirsty with no access to clean drinking water. Wells and water systems are part of God's mission. Feeding the hungry, visiting the prisoner are part of God's mission. But there are also people who are spiritually thirsty and need to hear about the living water that is Jesus Christ. After this encounter with the Samaritan woman, there's one other time in Scripture that Jesus says he is thirsty. It's on the cross, and Jesus says, I thirst. And he takes the thirst of the entire human condition to God. That's the truth revealed on the cross, that of all the endless varieties of ways we fill our water jars and quench our thirst, none of them is completely true. That true satisfaction of thirst comes from a face-to-face encounter with God in spirit and in truth. So let's not be afraid to talk about what matters because Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Thanks be to God for that. Amen.